Chris, morning. You may be seated. Thank you. Great to be with you all. How are you? Well, I arrived yesterday morning, I think, into Sydney from England. Slept all day. Got up, went for a walk around Darling Harbour about 5 p.m. here. Thinking, why are so many people out so early in the morning? <laughs> and why are they all dressed like they're going out somewhere? Australia is really changing, I thought to myself. <laughs> because I hadn't, changed the, I hadn't changed the clock on my phone. I just got up, so in my head, I'm starting my day. And it was morning. Do you know, I've had those moments, some of you don't travel, don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you that have been on drugs do. <laughs> and I'm like, what is the world? This is surreal, this isn't right. Then I realized that I shouldn't say anything for a moment. I shouldn't go correct people or announce something on social media about how confused Australians are, because it was me. <laughs> then I went back and slept for the rest of the night, or tried to, so I hope I am compass mentis, but it's funny, isn't it, how you give a microphone to someone as disoriented as I am. <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. I am here for this Great Presence Conference. I hope you're booked in. If you're not, you still can. And if you don't want to book in online, because that's too much drama, and it can be, then just rock up, because it's an arena, and there'll be a seat for you somewhere in the arena. The nature of arenas is that there's always a few seats somewhere, unless it's Adele, then you've got no chance. <laughs> so just rock up and be there. Uh, someone has spent millions of dollars for this conference. To bring together things that only ever happen at conferences. Conferences are unique because they are the combinational bringing together of things that usually happen separately and you get a piece of it. And it is a C3 tribe, but we are not C3 tribe. We that are speakers. So it has been forensically thought through that other voices come and speak into your tribe. That is what's unique about conferences that we come and contribute to your tribe, from our tribe. This is another unique factor about conferences. And I ran, I ran for 20 years, five conferences a year. And, uh, and I know what a challenge it is to be both an attender, but also a host of conferencing. So I'm committed to the idea of conferences, not for the sake of it, but because it's something unique, potentially that can happen at a conference. So I hope you've flicked that switch and realized it will not be here again for another year. And this is for you and your tribe. So I came from around the world, so you can come from down the road, can't you? To the conference. Well, it's great to be here. I hate to try and sell you things on our first date. But Hannah is here. Hannah works with me. She's an Australian, so she gets to visit her family while she's here up in Brisbane. And so she'll help you with more of this stuff. These USBs, you know what USBs are, don't you? In some parts of the world, I have to explain them. People think it's like a political party or something, but it's technology. And soon this will be phased out, and soon all this will be phased out. Eventually, they'll just back you up to a, a place and plug something into you and download stuff into your, into your mainframe, but that's not yet for a few years. Um, this is for and about teenagers. I think teenagers are the most underestimated generation in the world, and I think we have to expect more from them. If you, Google, if you Google teenagers and, don't put a third word in. See what Google offers you, nothing good comes up. Because the world expects very little from teenagers. And so this is to redeem the concept, the idea 
and to redeem that generation in the church and for us to realize that teenagers are not a generation in waiting. They are the generation that most matters, I guess, for us to um, move into action, to help understand that they have a massive part to play and it starts now. So thought on about teenagers, live full, die empty, this blue one, live full, die empty, should be the mantra of every church because God is not drawn to fullness. Sorry to tell you that, in case you're trying to fill this building, that God is drawn to emptiness. And the moment you stop finding empty people and empty situations and empty things in the community and empty spaces to fill, God loses interest. And God has checked out of church for generations because they forgot it's not about you. It's about the one that's still missing, which once was you. But after you get included in the 99, we get so comfortable, we forget what it was like to be missing. And God is all about the one that's missing, and we've stopped being about the one that's missing. And the larger churches get, the more we get involved in the maintenance of overfed, under-exercised Christians. None of you here, but those that didn't come this morning. <laughs> so you've got to live full, but you've got to keep emptying. Do not die with this secret recipe. Don't die with anybody else to talk to, anywhere else to go, because this is like... This operates like a gift voucher system. You can't spend a David Jones voucher in Myers. What you got to spend in earth, you can't decide, you know what, I'll just use it up in heaven. Ain't nobody there needs help. So you got to get rid of it here. So live full, die empty. So look at that blue one. This is called Wisdom for Life, stuff always someone had told me about. As I was growing up, just 65 to 8 minute audios that I just recorded of stuff, wisdom for life. By wisdom, the house is built. Your life is built on wisdom, uh, but we don't have enough that's given away. So this is one of my 60s, four hours or so, 65 to 8 minute uh, thoughts, like a book of Proverbs in audio form. Some of my books here, I've written eight books. I'm an author, you know. Yeah, you're welcome. 15 revolution, about giving 15 minutes a day to help someone, notice someone, be kind to someone, include someone, stand up for someone, protect someone. It's a revolution because I'm telling you now, it is extremely difficult to give 15 minutes a day to someone and to something you can't control. That's why it's a revolution. And the tagline is, go ahead, inconvenience me. Because beyond the place called convenience is where all the good stuff happens. All right, if you're glad the commercials are over, say amen. amen. Me as well. Sorry to have to do that on a first day. I should really have spent money on you, taking you out to the movies or something. So I'm sorry to fast track our relationship. But our dates are few and far between, so I had to. I'm going to read to you from Luke 19, uh, 1 to 9. We're going to parachute in for a few moments to this amazing encounter Jesus has with this centurion individual. And take a thought from this in the time that we have. I've got somebody sat down there holding an iPad with a timer clock on, so thank you. <laughs> Jesus was passing through Jericho, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed 
a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to Jesus, look, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And anything, um, I will pay back four times the amount to anybody that I've cheated. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. I'm going to speak to you about a message called the centurion factor. I have a little graphic there somewhere that's going to come up. And that as well. Um, th this message is going to be something that you know well. I got confused then with another message that I'm doing later. So you guys are right and I'm wrong. Um, that happens with jet lag and traveling. And what country am I in? And who are you people? And why am I even here? In charge in such a non-compassmentist state. This is a fascinating story. It's what we teach in Sunday school to our kids, so I guess it is a little bit cute and sweet. Uh, but it's anything but that. Something very powerful, very dangerous is going on here, certainly from Jesus' point of view. Because here's a guy, as were many of us, that was fascinated, interested in Jesus, but knew he would not be welcome in any church. Zacchaeus is a high-profile bad person, high-profile kind of person in town. This could have also been some of you or someone that you're hoping will come at Easter that you'd love to come to know Christ, but you're scared to invite them to regular church because if looks could kill, you're not sure they'd survive the lobby, especially if they don't look normal or they don't fit in or they are high profile in a way that they fear someone will know me and know my past and know my life and so on and so on. And Zacchaeus is like that. So he wants to look at Jesus, but he doesn't want to be seen to be looking at Jesus. This was also many of us. So he climbed a tree to look at Jesus from the safety of the sycamore fig tree. The sycamore fig tree has more foliage than other fig trees. So he picked his tree carefully and thought through carefully his vantage point of hiding from being seen. Today we call it the internet. Thank God for the internet, where people that want to look at Jesus but don't want to be seen looking can do that. So he climbs the tree and he's hiding. And he sat there waiting for Jesus to come by. He checked out his online itinerary. Going to intercept him at a certain time of day. And Jesus comes by with an entourage as usual. This entourage included some difficult people who followed him for one simple reason, to try and catch him out. There were these fake news people who Donald Trump is at war with and we all should be at war with. These fake news people who are trying to jump on something Jesus said and turn it into something he did not mean, they're there that day too. And he stops at the foot of this tree and looks up. And I guess the people in the entourage wondered what he was doing was he going to speak to a tree because he was known to do that too occasionally. And he shouts up this man's name, Zacchaeus. And when he mentions the man's name, and by the way, we have no idea how in the world he knew his name, let alone that he was there. When you're hiding and you have thought through that very carefully, then have someone stop 
and shout your name and say, come down from the tree, must be very scary. That's what Jesus did. This is a high-profile, planned, intentional contact, connection, meeting with this man. Calls him down from the tree. They all instantly know who he is. What happens next it makes it worse because he says to Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house and hang out with you today. And so he does. And all the religious people start to freak out because they all know he's a high-profile bad person. And if you want to protect your reputation and keep your pastoral integrity intact, you don't hang out with people like this. This is like, this is like your pastor's been in a local coffee shop or having dinner in a local restaurant with a high-profile bad person in the community, and you do it in a more clandestine, secret way, which wouldn't make it wrong to do that, but Jesus didn't. He's intentionally creating this high-profile scenario with a person whose society is against, let alone the church. And he goes to his house. And what's freaking people out, he says, they all began to mutter, he is going to be the guest of this terrible person. And what's freaking them out is that Jesus is in this man's house, which is a huge act of this. Going to this man's house was far more and far worse than hospitality or having a coffee or calling in for a meal, breaking bread with people in that culture, and many cultures still today around the world, by the way, are a huge act of this. What bothered them the most wasn't that Jesus was clearly accepting this man by going to his house and hanging out with him. It could only be viewed as this. But what bothered the religious people even more is that before Jesus extended this to Zacchaeus, he didn't first ask him to do any of this. Because as far as God's concerned, acceptance always precedes change. This is very difficult for us because what we have done with these two things is this. We have swapped these around, and now we are start. We, we, we build lives and churches and families and countries and societies on this sequence of events. We say that if you change, I will give you some of this in exchange for change. And according to how much change I think you have done determines how much of this you get in exchange. And so we start to use these two things as a currency for manipulation in relationships. And it happens in marriages and friendships and parents with kids and kids with parents and teams and bosses and employees and pastors and churches where we try to control people with these two things. Yeah. That you'll be included and we will call you and we will invite you and we will speak well of you and we will involve you, and we will trust you, we'll, we'll give you our versions of this, but as long as this keeps coming, and when we feel that you're not giving us enough of this in the way that we think you should, 
then you're going to find that this starts to dry up. And by the way, you need to apply this to yourself too. That some of you don't accept you as you are. And you are down on yourself and you are giving yourself a hard time. You have no self-compassion because you keep telling yourself, I need to change, I need to change, I need to do better, I need to lift my game. And so you live with this sense of non-acceptance of you. And so because you don't love or appreciate or respect you, it's hard for other people to do that. And so you have swapped this round even for you. And what Jesus did when he came on the earth and what God has done since the beginning of time and especially since Calvary is that God has taken these issues that became the dividing issue, by the way, for the early church. This, this issue finished up as a massive showdown in Acts chapter 15 where the early church met in what's called the Council of Jerusalem over this issue. Because people called Judaizers were going around the Gentile world, the non Jewish world telling non-Jewish converts, you cannot have this until you do some of this. You have to get circumcised and keep various Jewish rituals and festivals and you have to buy into bits of Judaism and when you do that, God will give you this and the Apostle Paul said, this is not right. That we cannot lay on people layers of expectation. We cannot demand this from people when God never did that to us and the Jews were saying we are in by birth you have to earn your way in is what these Judaizers are saying and a massive showdown took place in Acts 15 where they all had to get together and figure out are we building a Jewish church are we building a white church are we building a middle-class church are we building a youth church are we building a perfect person church? Are we building whatever kind of church we think would be acceptable to us kind of church? And are we building this kind of church? And if we're doing that, are we then going to start saying to people that are not our kind, and Zacchaeus was not their kind, and many of you were not the church's kind, are we going to say to them, and if we don't say it explicitly like I'm saying it today, is it implicit in our environment? Is it implicit in our language from the platform? Is it implicit in the culture in our churches? Because it's possible, you do know this, don't you? It's possible to have something on screen and something in the lyrics of our songs and something in the words of our praying that is like having something in the shop window that is not on the shelves in the shop. And the church has been doing this for generations, and our church did it for 20 years. Because our church, if you were to, if you were to measure, judge, weigh up our church by what happened on stage, you would think we were the best thing since Jesus. Because we had a theology of including everyone, but we had exclusive lifestyles, just like the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter had this all-inclusive theology which we heard tumble out of him on the day of Pentecost when he said, this is for all of you and for all flesh, but he didn't believe that. And long after Pentecost, and long after being baptized with the Spirit, and long after leading thousands to Christ, he's still struggling with this issue. Isn't it amazing? 
You can be three years 24-7 with Jesus and hate Gentiles and it not get fixed. This should at least be encouraging to us because it proves that God can still use you when you've got a crummy attitude. It proves that God is not as picky as we are. Which is why the church is harder to love than Jesus is. Because the church is far more demanding than God would ever be. And the church is far less gracious than God would ever be. And we are far less tolerant and far less threatened by difference than God has ever been. And so this doesn't get fixed by being in a good church. It doesn't get fixed by being at presence. It doesn't get fixed by having great worship or great preaching or falling on the carpet or glowing in the dark when the anointing's on you. <laughs> and we had a great church. And we were having a great time. And then I realized in the late 90s when I wrote a book about what I'm telling you now called Crossing Over, this book of the reinvention of our church when I started a new church inside an old church, which is not good for your health, by the way, but needs doing all over the world. The redemption of struggling churches actually may be far more important to the shape of the church in 50 years than starting new churches. Because many, as many churches we are starting, far more are closing down every day around the world. I think for many reasons, not least of which is this issue, that the church became comfortable with those that were gathered and had a theology of reaching everyone. But if everyone came, if you came to our church in the late 90s with tattoos and body piercings and a mohawk, now these people are on stage, by the way, but back then, that appearance represented not our types. Dangerous people, crooks, scoundrels, druggies, immoral people, scoundrels in our community. The, 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 we judged by looks that we said we didn't, but we did. And in the late 90s, I realized our church had become too comfortable. Although every service, you would think we were reaching the world for Jesus. But it was like, every service was like having a flight in a flight simulator. We didn't really go anywhere. We went places in our preaching, in our praying, in our minds. We kind of went everywhere. Even in our emotions, I think we felt for people. We felt for the poor. We felt for the lost and even shed tears over that. And so all of that, however, happened inside the simulator of a church experience. And of course, it didn't count. What happens in this room does not count. What happens at presence does not count. It doesn't count till you leave the building until there's no band and no worship and nobody preaching and no one instructing us and nobody high-fiving us saying good morning and no one being kind to us and no one welcoming us. That's where all this stuff counts. Behind enemy lines, living your life in the community where none of this exists, it's there where all of this counts. It's there where our theology really matters, where our acceptance of all really matters. And our church had forgotten that. But it's possible, it's possible to, to do this week in, week out and not even think there's a problem because we're having such a great time. And I realized in the late 90s, not every, not every box that you die in is shaped like a coffin. Some boxes you die in are shaped like a Christmas present with a ribbon on. It's called having a great time in church. And no one feels there's a problem. And of course, it's the terrible job of leadership to announce that there is a problem 
And it's more difficult for leaders to do that who are part of creating the problem. This is why churches don't reinvent. Because the pastors that know things need to change know that they're responsible for the problem. So part of fixing it is you having to admit, I'm part of the problem. I'm part of creating what is not working anymore. And of course, I knew that I was, and we all were. And in the late 90s, I started to bus people in from the worst council estates, we call them, in our city, which are amongst the top five worst in our country. And I started busting in these drug addicts and drug dealers and prostitutes and criminals and reckless and dangerous and scary-looking people. And I was busting in 500 a week. And nobody was saying wow back then. <laughs> Not in a good way anyway. 500 a week of the worst people of our city. And we knew they were there. They were there all the decades that we were having a great time praying for them. They were only across town as we shabbat over them. They weren't far from us, but we never drove by there. None of us lived there. None of us knew anyone there, but we loved them. Until I bust them in. Then all hell broke loose in our church. You know why? Because I bust these people in every single week, which is a huge act of this. And I didn't ask any of them to do any of this. I think if the, I think if the religious people in our church, what I affectionately call the church mafia, <laughs> every church has them. I think... I think if I'd have every week got up and said, I know you're concerned about we bringing these people in on the bus, but I want you to know that every single week we are saying to them, you've got to change this, change this, change this. And I want to say to you that we're getting feedback all the time about people changing. And I, I think it would have been something people would have wanted me to say to assure them that we're not kind of, you know, we're not endorsing these people's lifestyles, you know. God forbid that we will be encouraging them to stay as they are. I'm assuring you, we're demanding change from them. I think people in our church, the white middle class virtual reality outreaching people, would have wanted me to say that, but I knew I could not say that. Because I knew that I could not, I could not say to the church, we are handling them this way, when I knew that God had never, ever done that to me. God has never, ever asked you to change anything before he accepts you. In fact, acceptance precedes change so drastically that before you were even born, the issue of your acceptance was settled on the cross. So talk, talk, about, talk, about, talk about you're not earning it. Talk about... Your efforts to change been completely irrelevant. It's like all your efforts to change are way, way after the issue settled. And the cross was not about the church. We have franchised the cross and monopolized the cross. 
The cross was not for the church. The cross was for humanity. And we've, we, we've capitalized it and made the cross about us. It was never about us. The cross is about people. The difference between the church and the unchurched isn't the cross. It's that we now have woken up to realize that we are accepted. That our acceptance of Christ on the cross, we've realized that we are accepted, that we were set free from a life of trying to earn love and trying to earn acceptance and trying to earn being valued. We, the, the cross, if anything, set us free from that and all we did was just step into an acceptance that was there before we were born. Ephesians 1, 8, somewhere around there, says we are accepted in the beloved. Not acceptable. We're accepted in something that Christ did upstream of you being born. And so it's a waste of time trying to earn it. This is what... The early church didn't understand, and this is, by the way, what the church around the world don't understand. And in the UK, we have 98% of our population are not in church and are quite anti-church. This is true across Europe. I think it's to do with this issue, amongst other things. It's because people, when people think of church in our country, they do not think of acceptance. They think of judgment. They think of narrow-mindedness. They think of religion, they think of irrelevance, and so they stay in bed. And they are open to God, but they are not open to organized religion. And we're in a very interesting time with how the millennials are wired and how they are coming up because they're a very spiritual generation, but they're not sure about church. And we have our work cut out in our country, especially with so many not in church. And so I wanted to build a church for people that did not go to church. So much so that I spent more time in the heads and the shoes and the hearts and the lives and the mess of unchurched people that I got better with them than I did with Christians. I think, I think a lot of our church felt I should be putting my hand up to get saved. as they all thought Jesus should. All the religious people felt Jesus needed God. They felt Jesus totally needed to get saved because he was hanging out with all these terrible people and didn't realize that by doing that, as far as they were concerned, he was losing all credibility, but he didn't want any credibility with those people. He wanted, he wanted cred on the streets because our future is on the streets. The future of this church is not in this building. <laughs> I could have dipped into any story, by the way. This is just a good little cameo of what I'm talking to you about. I could have taken you to the thief on the cross. Talk about acceptance with no change. Boom. And he turns in his dying breath and says to Jesus, will you accept me? Will you rem remember me today when you enter paradise and Jesus did not say. It's interesting what Jesus often did not say. What he did not say also has a voice. He did not say, hang on a minute, let me get this right. So you've lived your life of crime and theft and burglary, you and your mate here, and now you've nothing else to lose, you call to me. I ain't stupid, you know. 
you could have come to one of my meetings anytime in the last few years. I was local. I did my services locally. I had my events outdoors. You didn't have to be part of a church to meet me, to listen to me. I took it to the streets. I knew about you and your friend. You stole from people in my team. You stole from people that would tell me about you two. These guys are two high-profile thieves who by serendipity finished up in the same space as Jesus. And one of them said to him, I need your help. And Jesus didn't give him a lecture. He just said, boom, you're in. He didn't say, hey, hang on a minute. I'm in enough trouble as it is. If I were you, I'd just shout from the cross, I'm sorry. Just say you're sorry. And then I'll accept you. Just change a little bit, then I'll accept you. Didn't do that. No more than he said to Zacchaeus, it would help me if you would announce from the tree that you will write a check to the poor. And you'll pay back people you've stolen from. Say it from the tree. So when I go to your house, it'll still be a difficult time, but it won't be as difficult because all the religious people will feel, or at least Zacchaeus clearly wants to change. Jesus didn't ask him to do anything to jump through hoops to make it easier for Jesus. We do that with people all the time. To tidy it up, which is what our church would have wanted me to do with these scoundrels. Can you please tidy it up? So I could have taken the thief on the cross, who, by the way, when he went to heaven that day, did not go to economy class. I think we like to think that these people that are last minute, last minute buy-ins, last minute, last minute shoe-in, kind of don't get the same heaven as the great apostles did. No, it's the same heaven. And that's what we, that's what we struggle with. That's what these 20-year-plus believers struggle with in our church when I'm including these people from day one, just like I'm including them. But I'm going to be giving them all the rights, all the privileges, all the love, the acceptance that we're giving them. And that they will become in the center of attention. Because there, there were too many to ignore. It wasn't like one or two new people that, look, that don't look like they're our type. It was hundreds. So there was as many of them almost as us at that time. Our church at that time would be about six, seven hundred people. And half of them left in two years. Boom. Over 300 left in two years over this issue of acceptance without asking anybody to change. I remember at one time, some, one, one Sunday night service, three transvestites came to the service. Now, I think one transvestite is enough. I think three is a bit overwhelming. <laughs> but three rocked up. And I remember the elbows flying in the room and the texting going on in the room of these guys in the building, in the service, which told me more about us than them. And I kind of understood the discomfort. I understand you don't want your kids seeing that. You don't have to explain that to your kids if your kids are in the room. I get all that. But I also get that, that the church should not be safe because Jesus is not safe. You do know that about Jesus, don't you? He's not safe. 
He's not tame. He isn't house trained. And he's not trying to fit in with us. He couldn't care less what you think about who he's reaching and about how he does it and who he uses and who he includes. He couldn't care less what we think. So Jesus is completely out of control. And he'll never be controlled. And we had him in a place where we wanted him to stay in our church. And we opened the box and let him out every week then put him back in. Now I'm busting in these people. It is, we're all out of control. And these three transvestites came and the buzz in the room was interesting to me. So at the end of the service, I called these three guys over. I said, come, let me say hi. And I said, hi, and where are you from? Welcome. And I did it right here in front of everybody. Because amongst everybody were people who feel they deserve my time more. I wanted them to see that these people matter for me to give time, to be seen, to be giving time to. And I said, you guys, great to see you. Where are you from? And one of them said to me, well, we come to this church often. We are homeless. And you feed us in your feeding program, you know, a couple of times a week. But we've just never come dressed as women. And we're not trying to cause trouble or anything. But I said, well, if you don't normally come dressed as women... And you think that would cause trouble. Why did you come dressed as women and cause trouble tonight then? <laughs> kind of thing. I said, you must have felt some of the looks could kill. You'd be dead. And they said, yeah, well. They said, well, the problem is that today was the best dressed transvestite competition in town. And it finished too late for us to get changed before church. <coughs> so we just came. So as they're talking to me, I'm talking to me about what they're saying to me. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, let me get this straight. You, would, you, you intentionally came to this church dressed as women, knowing this would be a rough ride for you tonight. I've got people in a Mercedes that live up the road who won't come to church if it's raining. Or who won't be in church if last week someone didn't handle them right, they got offended and took a month off. I've got plenty of those. And I've got you guys who just, knowing, knowing that it's going to be a rough time if you come dressed as women, you just came rather than miss church. And I'm thinking as they talk to me, which would I rather have? Which would God rather have? Is what I'm thinking as they're talking to me. So I'm thinking, I said, okay. I said, wow. I said, well, let me, say, let me say three things to you guys before you go. I said, number one, you're the worst looking women I've ever seen. Because they were shockers. They were terrible. You know, some transvestites do it so well, you can't tell. In fact, they look better as women. They look better as women than as men. They do it so well. Not these guys. I mean, they hadn't shaved, and their legs were hairy, and makeup was a mess, and their hair. I'm like, dudes, you are the worst-looking women. Because, because here's what I'm doing. I know they're not women. They know they're not women. God knows they're not women. So even though they're dressed as women, I am bantering with them as a bloke. Because blokes can do that. So they're laughing that I'm saying you're the worst looking women I've ever seen. And we're bantering. And one of them said, oh, no, 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 Pastor, no. You don't understand. In today's competition, I won. <laughs> and showed me his medal. Showed me his, like, trophy thing. It was like, it was like, it was like a, a man dressed as a woman trophy. The trophy looked way better than he did. 
And I'm like, what? You won? And his friend said, yeah, and I was the runner-up. I'm like, you guys, are, you guys are killing me. Are you kidding me? I said, are you telling me, are you telling me you are the best two transvestites in this city? Because if that's true, you guys need to lift your game. You are lowering the tone. God help us if we go into city contests. So they're laughing. They said, what's the second thing you want to say to us, Pastor? I said, the second thing is, you're welcome here anytime. Dressed as men or women, I don't care. God does not care. But there are people here that will care, and I can't protect you from them. Because I don't know where you are in the crowd, what someone might say, what looks good kill, what whispers you'll hear. I can't protect you from that. But if you can survive that, on behalf of the management, you need to know you're welcome here anytime. I don't care how you come, how you look. So they said to me, wow. They said, Pastor, that's a, that's a strange thing to say to us. I said, I know it is, and it tells you more about me than it does about you, how much I have changed. I said, because I can't ask you to change, to physically change your clothing so that we don't see your dysfunction, your dual identity, your sin, your dysfunction, whatever people will call it. I can't ask you, please don't, please don't come wearing that. When as far as God's concerned, we're all guilty of the same thing. It's just that ours are more hidden. But it's not hidden to God. So I can't create a church where we exclude people who don't look like we want them to look because we judge by the outward, but God judges by a far higher standard of the inward. And I said, clearly, you guys dress as women, but you have hearts of gold. And God knows that. But people don't care about that. They care about how you look. So I said, if you can survive that, you're welcome at any time. They said, what's the third thing? I said, the third thing is, if you come dressed as women, please don't use the women's bathroom. <laughs> I said, because if you do, it will create so much drama for me. I said, if you use the men's bathroom, it'll still be drama, but a bit less. <laughs> they said to me, high five, pastor. That's a good deal. You know what? They came back to the church many, many times since, never once dressed as women. I didn't ask him not to. You know why they never came back just as women? Because I didn't ask him to do any of this. And I just overwhelmed them with that. And here's how God, don't clap, I ain't got time. I'm already in the red here. <laughs> Save all your claps for presents for me. Because I might be well jet lagged by then. Here's the way God gets people to change. God does not give people to change by doing this. That's what we do to each other and to the world. God gets people to change by overwhelming them with this. So much so that what happens is you start to volunteer change. Which is what Zacchaeus did. We have, no, we have no evidence that Jesus asked him to write a check to anybody. He started to volunteer change. We want to build a culture in our churches where people feel so loved and so accepted that they don't need us to sit them down and counsel them into change. But the very environment and culture itself is so loving, so accepting, so forgiving, so gracious, so inclusive that people feel when they're amongst us that they don't want to cause trouble, they don't want to cause drama <coughs> because they feel so appreciative of the love 
that they know is not coming to them cheap. These guys knew that for me to even stand talking to them was not easy for me in the eyes of some people that were already looking at them. And every time Jesus included someone that the world rejected, Jesus suffered and so will you. And I suffered to the tune of half of our church going for the sake of reaching people that our church loved in theory but hated when they showed up. Our church is thousands of people now. At the core of that church are those scoundrels. They became our leaders, our entrepreneurs, our great mums and dads, our movers and shakers in the community. Those people became the core of our church and still are. Now anybody's in our church. Everybody's in our church. Now our church is like a scene from the Star Wars bar. <laughs> when all this, every species of the universe is there. And I like it for that reason. Our church is not safe anymore. I love it because it's not safe. And nobody leaves stuff lying around anymore. Everybody sits holding their stuff. And you know what? There's no one here today that would steal your stuff. Maybe this church is too safe. I know, I know we don't measure churches like that. We measure it by the worship and the anointing. And, but God doesn't measure churches like that. He measures the churches by how large our circle of love is. And if there's anybody here that would steal your stuff, God says, a few people here would steal your stuff today. High five, you're doing great. Let's stand together, come on. I know your church has a great circle of love. I know you've accepted and included refugees and especially people from that troubled nation of Syria that we are praying for all around the world. So this isn't something that I'm bringing to correct anything here. It's just to remind you that the top button of the coat is this. And if we get this button wrong, and our church did, all the rest will never line up anyway. Come on, every eye closed. Is the band back up here? I should have said that a minute ago. When you said, let's get the band back up, gives people hope we've finished. <laughs> Believe me, I've been in meetings where you longed for that hope. <laughs> I have. And I've been in charge of meetings where I did not give that hope. So... Come on, every eye closed. Father, we love you. We thank you. We're still amazed every day at your inclusion of us, that you would love us, choose us, let alone use us to make a difference. We thank you and we are humbled by your unconditional acceptance of all of us. Help us to pass that on. May we not become those that take our acceptance and then make it difficult for others to be accepted. May the word on the street about this church be, you wouldn't believe who goes to that church. And it be said in a way that is the hugest compliment to our church, to this church. Because what they're saying is we accept and love and include everyone, not just in our preaching and in our language and our songs in the reality of our spaces and our relationships our practical physical circle of love includes all may that become real in this church to a whole new level in 2017 as we again lift our heads and remember that we were once the one missing and many still are and our job is not to judge but to accept them to call them down from their trees as it were 
to go with them to their homes in a huge act of love and acceptance. Let that be the DNA of this church and all of our churches. In Jesus' name.